The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, when you say NFL films, what do you think of? Slow motion highlights, the nostalgia stirring music, sure, but for me it's not just that. It's Ed and Steve Sable, the two reasons why I fell in love with pro football. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, it's a late drop on this Wednesday. I mean, the show was supposed to drop back 6 a.m. Had some obligations on yesterday. The nephews, they were playing against each other, rival schools. But how, man, one of them rolled his ankle during pregame. You know, they first run out middle school style. You know, the cheerleaders say, let's go, let's go, let's go. You know, that kind of thing. And uh, they're passing the ball around. He rolls his ankle. So he didn't even get to play in the game. God, heal up, Juju. Man, heal up, man. Uh, but they, his team got the win against uh, West End Middle School. Rose Park got the W. You guys probably don't know those schools unless you're here local. But I, I was proud, Uncle, to actually be there for that game. Cause my daughter's a cheerleader, and her, um, um, yeah, her, uh, I, I'm at her games. <laughs> Baby girl comes first. But anyway, welcome in. Show number two of the year. NFL historians and lovers of sports history saw about that long, uh, you know, intro. But welcome in. This show is for you guys and gals. It's cool if you already know this stuff. Congratulations. There's always somebody that doesn't know this stuff. So what's my job? My job is to give this show for those who don't know as much about NFL history. So we are here to do three things. That is enlighten, teach, and learn. It is the Behind the Mic podcast presented by Billy Up Sports. The Billy Up Sports Podcast Network, Billy Up Sports Media. Yeah, you heard the intro. BillyUpSports.com. Go to it. Click on it. Read the stories and, uh, you know, take in all the content. And you can catch us on our new home of Megaphone. That's M-E-G-A-P-H-O-N-E. Yeah, Megaphone. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all those great podcasts. ways that you can listen and also watch your podcasts on youtube i'm not there yet so the pray the playoff picture the nfl playoff picture is crystal clear now we know what it is uh it's set in motion and this weekend is the great you know wild card weekend before we hit the division around and then we hit the championship games and eventually the super bowl and that's what this show is based around today uh, let's get to it let's get this last week in the books the last rundown of the 2022 nfl season week 18 titans at the jaguars if you don't know i live in nashville well titans had their shot didn't expect them to win that game but they were really in prime position to win that game you didn't see it josh dobbs you know had a fairly decent day got hit from behind trying to throw the ball fumbles and picked up scoop and score 37 yard touchdown with uh, what seconds left to go in the game something like that yeah that was not good. That was not good. Josh Allen scooping score. Next thing you know, the Titans have fired four coaches, including the offensive coordinator, Todd Downing. And I'm guessing the streets of Nashville may be a little bit safer going forward. Yeah, that was a long way away from that Green Bay game, which the Titans have not won 
a game since that game, since that night. Yeah, seven state straight, excuse me, seven straight losses. Can't do that. The Jags, they were ready. And they came out a little bit flat. I think they were on of the mindset, yeah, we're going to beat the Titans. And they're on a quarterback that came in off the street, even though he played pretty decently in his first game. And we're going to get this thing done. And it, it happened, but the defense was the one that actually stepped up. But, yeah. <laughs> Next game on that Saturday, real simple. Chiefs at Raiders. Chiefs, they roll on into the playoffs, 31-13. And Jared Stidham finally looked a little bit human in his second start. Um, you know, long and short of it is, yeah, the Chiefs blew out the Raiders. You know, they're going into the playoffs and uh, they get the first round bye. Yeah, a lot about that. Yeah, not not everybody was happy about that, but I mean, it is what it is. They got the best record in the AFC. Not exactly their fault. Speaking of which, Sunday early window, Patriots at the Bills. The doctors at UC Cincinnati they said that Demar Hamlin set off every alarm in the ICU when Naheem Hines. Return that opening kickoff 96 yards for a touchdown. You can't make this stuff up. Can't. You know, and, and Hines actually returned a second one, 101 yards in the third quarter. But in all, New England, they lost the game. They're eliminated from the playoffs. They never really went away. But, you know, there was no way in Hades that the Bills were going to lose that game. I don't believe that for one second. So, you know, they they got them up out of the playoffs. Uh, everybody in the AFC East was not going to be able to make it. But, you know, uh, two teams in the AFC East will be there. And it's going to be a rematch this weekend. The season split between the Miami Dolphins uh, is yeah, it's going to be broken. Playoffs. And uh, their third-string quarterback since Tua is now ruled out still because of that head injury. Um, their third-stringer is going to start once again. And uh, the best news of all is that DeMar Hamlin got to go home. Period. Point blank. Panthers at the Saints. Two more teams that were eliminated from the playoffs actually last week. Eddie Pinero kicking for the Panthers. Kicks a 42-yarder to beat the New Orleans Saints in New Orleans in the season finale, 10-7. And I really believe that Steve Wilkes, the interim coach for the Panthers, should get that job. You know, hopefully he will. But Saints, on the other hand, really, 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 really need a quarterback. All right, Browns at the Steelers. Pittsburgh, they did their job. Last week, I'm, I said it. Last week, I'm proud of the way that they finished the season. Uh, I, I love the growth with George Pickens and, of course, Kenny Pickett. And that combo is going to be – you got two rookies. And um, it's going to be something that could be a long-term relationship as they continue to grow together along with Najee Harris running the football. You couldn't ask much more from a young team with a rookie quarterback that has done nothing but improve as the season has gone forward. I love the future. Uh, I like the way that the defense is played. And I wonder what it's going to be like next year in Cleveland when Deshaun Watson has a full – offseason under his belt but you know they don't lack for too much on both sides of the ball but there's some things that they definitely need to fix dolphins at the jets all right new york jets you had one job that field goal fest you called a football game on sunday i i need i just needed you guys to put a drive together to put away the dolphins and you know you wet the bed okay you wet the bed and i'm embarrassed and i'm i'm, I'm still a little perturbed over that I was just not, oh, I wasn't happy with the result because <laughs> Pittsburgh did not get into the, the playoffs. So, I mean, would they have won their first game? I don't know, depending on the matchup, but maybe not. Yeah, but at least they finished with a winning record. 
the Dolphins, they get in. The Jets and the Patriots, they're out. Skylar Thompson is going to be starting next week in Buffalo. Uh, better wear a pair, real thick pair of gloves. Buccaneers at the Falcons. So, you know, the Bucs, they're already in the playoffs. You know, and the only reason why the starters played a little bit is so that Tom Brady could break his own completions record, NFL record in the season. And he did that. I mean, if you're throwing the ball 80 times a week, you're probably going to break that record. <laughs> so, and the Falcons, uh, you know, if you bet against the Falcons, I mean, they won the game uh, big time. You bet against the Falcons, who were favored by four going in there. You had to know, yeah, they weren't going to be playing their starters. Book it is with rest of people. If you bet against the the, if you bet on the Bucks side, you lost. Period. Vikings at the Bears. You know, so can't say that the Chicago Bears didn't do their part, but were they expecting to get the first pick in the draft by the end of the day? Really midday, right? <laughs> They lost. They sat back, lost 29-13 at home against the Vikings. Ended up getting that first pick. Why? Because Texans at the Colts, Lovey Smith, who was ceremoniously fired as the scapegoat, um, his team actually played to win. 50 seconds left to go. I had that confused with the Titans game. It, it was a little more time than that. It was a minute and some change. But anyway, 50 seconds left to go. Davis Mills, he connects twice with Jordan Atkins, first for the touchdown and second for the two-point conversion, and they got the W against the Colts. Congratulations, you picked second, um, which is actually not bad, uh, seeing that they, the Bears are probably going to trade down. You need a quarterback, you're probably going to get one. So all you need to be is in the top two. So Bryce Young, uh, C.J. Stroud, I, I know Kentucky fans don't get mad at me. Will Levis, we'll see. Uh, Ravens at the Bengals Cincinnati they took care of business at home and they get to do it again hopefully uh, for Bengals fans they'll do it again this week as well uh, I'm guessing that the Ravens spent the night are they still up there I have no idea yeah. but their problem is they still know Lamar Jackson that's going to be an issue and uh, Anthony Brown I mean, and all those turnovers that they had on Sunday they can't do that again next weekend because they'll be then taking the bus back to Baltimore and getting ready for the 2023 season. Um, so we'll see what happens. And uh, I'm guessing that Tyler Huntley's going to be the starter. To this point, he's slated to be the man. Lamar's knee still isn't right. I mean, it is what it is. Afternoon window, charges at the Broncos. All I will say is that, you know, that was a good, no, a great win for the Denver Broncos. Go ahead and finish the season off right um, with a win. Russell Wilson at home throws three touchdown passes. The defense shows up a little bit. Uh, it'd be great to see Sean Payton on the sidelines wearing orange. That's just me. Uh, Chargers, get ready. Uh, Giants at the Eagles. You see the difference between the starter and the guys that's the backups, right? Yeah. You know, so this was kind of like a preseason game, yet on the other, because these two teams, they're playing, they're in the playoffs. Giants got to go see the Vikings. And uh, the Eagles get to sit back uh, and rest up, you know, for next week to see who they'll be facing in the NFC, the lowest seed. Yeah, that's what it is. Cardinals at the 49ers, bittersweet day, as this was J.J. Watt's final game as a pro. As a pro. Um, he announced that he was retiring at the end of the season. He had his last game in Arizona and uh, his last game, period. And the guy cried like a baby. I mean, who wouldn't? Seen his wife 
upstairs crying. Um, great career. And uh, was fin finished like near the top and in, in leading in categories defensively. That's pretty good, you know, for a guy that's retiring. The 49ers, otherwise, you know, 10th straight win. They continue to roll into the playoffs. Brock Purdy was really good, tossing three TDs. And, uh, you know, that that's San Francisco. So they're getting ready themselves uh, for next week. They have to play the Seahawks at home. I actually heard a, a friend of mine try to tell me that the Seahawks were going to upset the 49ers. I, I don't see it. I really don't see it. Speaking of which, you know, and maybe this is recency bias as far as the Rams. I'd be crazy, but Baker Mayfield, he just looked a little better in that offense than Matt Stafford. Like I said, recency bias. Uh, do I actually believe that? Not really until I actually see it. I, I believe that Stafford is the better quarterback, but I mean, you know, and, and there's a lot of other questions. Is uh, Aaron Donald going to come back? Will McVay maintain his job? Or will he go work in television? We don't know, you know. But whatever happens, Baker Mayfield actually won himself a job somewhere. So, and, and that's the difference between having an actual really good coach uh, and uh, his time was up in Cleveland. I think that Kevin Stefanski is actually a pretty decent coach uh, offensively, but it just wasn't in the stars for him to be uh, there, I guess, long term, if you want to just put it that way. So, you know, they, they lose that game on Sunday, and it was they fought. You know, Seahawks, they got a second chance. Uh, their kicker took care of business the second time around, Myers, and he missed the first one in regulation, made the second one in overtime. They go into the playoffs. So we'll see what happens. Cowboys at Commanders. All right. <laughs> mm -mm -mm. And playing against the third-string quarterback. Cowboys fans, you need to be worried. You need to be worried. I'm just going to leave it at that. That's all I'm going to say. Sunday Night Football, Lions at the Packers. Came up a little bit short there, Green Bay. Uh, I'm guessing that's what happens. You know, you start off four and eight. You, you, have, you can't start off like that and, uh, you know, you can't always put it in the gear overtime. It's just not in that team in Green Bay. I know that there's some rebuilding offensively that was going on, but in some up and down stuff, understand it totally. Green Bay actually has a pretty decent team. They just got to grow into it. But 39-year-old quarterback may have just been sent home for the last time in his career. Not, not sure what's going to actually happen. Um, but that's what you kind of get that feel, you know, the way he left out of there on Sunday, Aaron Rodgers. But um, they had to win out in order to win the playoffs. Instead, they got swept by the Detroit Lions. And Aaron Rodgers, speaking of which, was kind of the, the, the Lions are the beneath me type attitude. Yeah. He got humbled on Sunday, Sunday night football. And they may have just ended his Packers career. Um, you know, you don't want to end with an interception on your final pass. But, I mean, nothing's perfect. Nobody's perfect. But the Lions, uh, you know, hey, they literally played for pride on Sunday night football because they were already eliminated early on, um, you know, that day. And, you know, they had nothing to play for except to say, okay, we're going home. We're taking the Packers with me. Uh, and that's it. So, all right. I've said it over and over and over again. NFL films is the reason why I love pro football. It's specifically Super Bowl memories that were hosted by Steve Sable. That was my first look and first time really paying attention to NFL films. And as the postseason begins this weekend, it brings a certain nostalgia for me. If you don't know how it got started, keep listening. 
What made pro football what it is today? What caused it to last as long as it has? Why didn't it go away like so many other professional leagues before it? Television. Television was the main thing that got it in front of the people and it got people to really be interested because, I mean, for the most part, you had to show up to games. And it, it was about college football and pro baseball, right? They were The NFL was fighting for that. If you listen to the show long enough, you know, you have that understanding because the NFL was competing, a new sport was competing uh, with college football, Major League Baseball for years to get a seat at the American table of the sports world, you know, so it could hold its attention. It began in the early 20s, but by the 1950s, its popularity, it, it had grown just a little bit. It wasn't there yet, but it had grown. What was football like on television early on? Well, I mean, as far as it being on TV with their main events, just a little bit of a review from an old show, first televised NFL game, the Brooklyn Dodgers versus the Philadelphia Eagles played in 1939. 1951, the first broadcast game, coast-to-coast, it was the NFL championship game with the L.A. Rams and the Cleveland Browns. Go figure. The 58 NFL championship game actually put pro football on the map. Sudden death game. It went into overtime. The Baltimore Colts beat the New York Giants. And you have all of these Hall of Famers left and right. And it put the league on that map of popularity. Of course, by the 1960s, the AFL had joined the fray and their exciting play being put on TV between the NFL and the AFL. You know, the AFL was throwing the football a lot more too. So that's why it was a lot more appeasing, appealing to the eye, right? They had those, um, you know, those, those partnerships and, and those uh, broadcasting companies, they were showing their games such as ABC, CBS, and NBC. Then you had, Commissioner Pete Rozelle, he was very pivotal in the NFL's television push. So outside of the games themselves, there would be a more inside, in-depth look at pro football that would push its popularity just as much. Not just filming games, really showing you professional football from an intimate angle, inside, okay? I know you guys out there love seeing um, you know, the the HBO's hard knocks. You get to see the inside, and that's that's even 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 greater. You know, you get to see these guys you know, at their homes and all that. You would you saw a little bit of that in the early days of NFL films, but not a whole lot. Um, you had more interviews and things like that. And then they definitely wasn't letting you in on necessarily who was getting cut <laughs> in the preseason and stuff like that. Now they're doing in season stuff. I ain't watched not one episode, though, of the Cardinals. It was just a little bit too painful. I'm going to go back and see it. But, you know, it is what it is at this point. Four quarterbacks in four weeks. I still can't get over that with the Arizona Cardinals. And, of course, that cost Cliff Kingsbury his job as well. You know, Black Monday. But um, as far as outside of those games and and the way that popularity was growing um, for the league at the time, you got to see an intimate inside of what professional football was like, especially on the field. It was like watching a movie, though. And when, when I asked the question, when you say NFL films, what is the first thing that you think of? You have the, the, the zooming in and zooming out of a football being thrown. You see the football leave the quarterback's hand and it's going through the air. And then all of a sudden you see a pair of hands 
that reach up and grab it or it zooms out as you see it fall into the hands of a receiver who falls to the ground in slow motion i mean that's a beautiful thing and it's done to like some music that just goes right along that that, that makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up that's what i loved about nfl films i didn't see anything else like that you got this this operatic uh and sometimes exciting and powerful music that goes along it's almost like a, a ballet or a dance sometimes uh and it started out for me like watching super bowl memories Let, uh let's just say uh i'll throw out one okay so <laughs> super bowl nine uh we had they showed the first pittsburgh steelers championship now that game wasn't a, a great one to watch scoring wise but then you had you know the, the way that the music and everything put put the story together of the game and you see Franco Harris, you hear John Facenda in narrating this thing and you see him, you know, he uh Franco Harris set a Super Bowl record, 158 yards rushing and was named most valuable player of the game. And then he's saying that as this dun 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 You got this music in the background playing as he's breaking through the line and he runs out of bounds as he's stiff arming the guy to the ground. You know, that's that's something that I love watching when it came to NFL films. And, you know, those are the first things that I personally think of. I mean, you got football follies and and uh, you have things that was focused on the Super Bowl. And then you had this year, I have like um, DVDs of like every single season. I think it's from the 1966 season to like the 19, I want to say the 1990 or 1989 season and it has this is pro football type thing and and you have the entire thing uh, you have they go through the entire season it's like a yearbook for the whole season y'all remember nfl yearbook i used to love those too <laughs> you see the entire season of a single team i still have a tape of the Broncos season uh 1991 you know when they ended up going and losing in the AFC championship game to the Buffalo Bills, you know, because they were terrible the year before. I think they were like 4-12. and 12. These are the kind of things that I like watching. This is what got me to playing football, let alone watching football. I want to play it, watch it. And when I'm playing, that music is going through my head as I'm catching the pass and running out of bounds. This is just me. I'm just speaking to myself. Um, but who would be responsible for this stuff? NFL feels revolutionized the way we watch football uh, and is how it was filmed as well as how it was watched and who was responsible how about a guy who spent 15 years as a coat salesman yeah ed sable uh born in atlantic city in 1916 uh born to a jewish mother and a romanian father he was a record-setting swimmer you know when he was a young man you know going through high school and going into college and only spent two years at ohio state before leaving out of there he actually got selected to the 1936 olympic team now knowing this guy was jewish right uh he's not going to berlin germany i wonder why he wasn't going to swim in the pool that was built by hitler not happening he actually was a world war ii veteran as well and around uh, 1940 41 he married his uh, uh his wife and who's still alive to get today aubrey siegel and uh you know his father-in-law was <laughs> his father-in-law was jack siegel 
who was a big time coat salesman, right? And um, 1942, Aubrey and, excuse me, I said Aubrey, Audrey, Audrey Siegel, not Aubrey, Audrey Siegel and Ed Sable. Uh, uh, Audrey and Ed Sable, they had their first child, Steve Sable. He was born in 1942. And this guy, who happened to get a wedding gift of a 16 million uh, millimeter, when I was doing my notes, I kept saying million, 16 millimeter camera, he was filming everything. And I'm do me everything. And he, you see a lot of, if you watch a football life of Ed Sable or Steve Sable, you can see those films to this day. He filmed everything around, you know, outside of the house and his wife and his kids. And with Steve, you saw his first haircut. You saw his first pony ride. And then his football games was one of the main things that he also did. Uh, in fourth grade, you know, when Steve Sable was playing football, he filmed all his games like from a 25 foot like station that was uh, that was around the school where they would you know around the football field. Now, this was a big time hobby of his that obviously was going to eventually turn to something way bigger. Now, Ed Sable did not like coat sales. Now, according to Ed, you know his mother-in-law, uh, now excuse me, his mother, you know, I guess was present or whatnot. Uh, he just was, you know, with Jack Siegel, his father-in-law. He was walking the coat factory or whatnot, and his mother most basically told him, hey, you know, you just keep walking, stick with him, and then he just basically walked himself into a job. Of course, he wants this guy to have a steady paycheck to support his daughter. <laughs> so, I mean, you give the son-in-law a job, but that wasn't what he really wanted to do, and he spent 15 years of his life doing this. Now, something happened to him around age 40, where he decided, you know, I really don't want to do this anymore. But he got a little bit of help. Now, on the side, he was a, eventually he became an aspiring filmmaker. Okay, with that 16 million uh, million millimeter camera, um, he had a style that he had developed, and this was from Hollywood director John Ford, and it was something that he would do, which was shooting things from different angles. This is stuff that he. Uh, grew up watching and and seeing even as an older adult where he got this style of filming now he hadn't really put it to use just yet but he was doing this hobby thing with this the film filming of his children and his house and everything else well it was going to go into professional football for obvious reasons so at one point Jack Siegel decided that he was not going to stay in business doing the coat sales thing anymore 1956 sable's father-in-law jack siegel the king of coats is what they called him uh his father-in-law sold the business part of that went to ed sable and after buying a couple toys for himself you know he invested in more cameras again aspiring filmmaker and he actually named his company uh blair motion pictures okay so that that was something really really interesting all right so sidebar so getting close to this point, Steve is getting to the point around 1960 where he actually goes off to college. Steve Sable, um, who went to Haverford, not, not was it Haverford School? It was a um, kind of an uppity, um, I guess you could say it was a private school where a lot of their students went to three of the schools that he actually wanted to go to, Harvard, Yale, and Princeton. He wasn't accepted to any of those. 
He did get an offer from Colorado College. Yes, going all the way across the, <laughs> the United States to go to school. And he ended up going there. He lettered in football. Um, and he was a self-advertised guy. Um, and an art, was it an art major, art history major or whatnot? And he was actually a pretty good writer as well. And so he was he became known as his self-proclaimed nickname, Sudden Death Sable, or the Tot from Possum Trot. <laughs> but he was actually a pretty decent college football player. Led his team in punting, and he was actually all Rocky Mountain Conference. So as, as a running back. Um now Ed, like I said, in the meantime, he eventually started Blair Motion Pictures, again named after his daughter. And um, and I will quote from an article that I found. In the New York Times, according to Douglas Martin of the New York Times, and I quote, he studied how newsreels were put together. He spoke to uh, Dan Indy, who worked for a Philadelphia company that made black and white films of NFL games. Filled with ideas about adding color film, music, and then more cameras, both of these guys, Ed Sable and Dan Indy, took to uh, another, they wanted to go another step. And that bold step of bidding for film rights to the 1962 NFL championship game. That's wild, right? It's like, we're going to go with pro football. Now, pro football isn't what we know it today just yet. You know, the, the everything is building. And television is relevantly, relatively new, okay? And this was kind of a different venture. It, you know, because you already had some film rights going on in 1962. Again, you have ABC, NBC, you know, CBS that's that's uh, doing this thing, right? So by that time, they actually put a bid in, and the 62 championship game. This was going to be the Green Bay Packers. They were playing at Yankee Stadium against the New York Giants. This was Lombardi versus his old team. Remember, he spent five years in New York as the offensive coordinator while. Uh, or Tom Landry, I forgot that fast. Tom Landry was the defensive guy, and uh, you know, two Hall of Fame coaches on the same team. Well, you know, these both these guys they broke off, and this was going to be the second championship for Lombardi after taking over in 1959. A really bad Green Bay team that had fell off the wheels, right? They're back in the championship for the second year in a row. They're playing in uh, Yankee Stadium, and um, you know. He's looking for a second championship. Well, currently, the bid to film that game was at $1,500, okay? Pete Rozelle uh, actually was the man who took the bid, and Ed wanted to. He wanted it that bad. He doubled it. Now, I've read in two different places. He, Ed Sable said $5,000, and a lot of other books and everything, and articles all say $3,000, and they won the bid. Of course, it was kind of late, Pete Rosell said he had to do his due diligence. It's like, I didn't know if you even had a camera. This is per its table. I didn't know if you even had a camera to film anything. But they won the bid. Blair Motion Pictures, they ended up filming a game that featured Hall of Famers such as Bart Starr, Jim Taylor, Willie Davis, Forrest Gregg, Paul Horning, Jerry Kramer, Ray Nitschke, Jim Ringo, Willie Wood, Wellington Mara, the owner, Rosie Brown, the Hall of Fame tackle, Sam Huff, Andy Robustelli, Y.A. Tittle, and Frank Gifford. That I mean, that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. You you're the game was broadcast by NBC, by the by the way. 
Um, and then I read in another place actually that the, the they ended up paying twelve thousand dollars for the whole thing. So anyway, you slice it, they're in there. Okay, they're in there. Now Sable and his crew they had to set bonfires in order to thaw their cameras. Why? It was a fifteen degree day, and filming in these kind of conditions was a little bit new. Now going back a little bit after um jack siegel had sold his company and then he cut the money up and you know gave ed his share whatnot and uh sable he ended up you know starting his broadcasting company you know his not well his his film his film production company blair motion and he actually took to you know actually you know he, he retired and he decided after buying some of these toys he took a cessna to the bahamas and with one hand he's flying another hand he's filming and would you know it the bahamas tourism uh <laughs> that that section they ended up using his film as you know to show as far as these are the bahamas this is what this is what it looks like here and they use that as their a part of their tour guide for their tourists this is the Bahamas, all right? Welcome in, you know what I mean? That, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And so, yeah, they won that bid. They filmed that game. And so he ended up setting up cameras in a lot of different spots, kind of like going against the grain of what was normal. You normally, if you go back and you look at any old football game, pretty much is what you see today. You know, if you got the angle of just from the, uh, the main booth or whatnot, and you got the whole field, and you're going left to right, you know, you may have a camera that's on the field from behind the goalpost, you do have that. But my man was filming stuff from a lot of different angles. Again, he was taken from that old school director, the Hollywood director, John Ford, and he would only build upon that, especially when Steve Sable showed up to actually add even more to it with his art, artistic mind. So that was that was something that was really really good and and Roselle saw the film afterwards and he loved it. All right, so the film was entitled "Football's Longest Day," uh, and as far as <laughs> that was probably a long day for a lot of the players as well. Again, you had 30 mile per hour winds, a 15 degree day, and like I said, they're setting bonfires to thaw out the cameras. Why? You had film that was actually freezing at times. And he also said that he didn't know cameras would actually get stuck to the sides of his cameraman's face. That's how cold that it was out there. That's wild. And so, you know, they did that game and then they would move forward and be able to do some other things with it. Uh, he had World War II era cameras and they kept jamming and everything. Lenses were, feet, were frozen as well. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it was a long day for everything, everybody. Well, the 1963 game, they ended up bidding for that. That game, that championship game, ended up costing them 10 grand. And then they got the 64 championship game, 20 grand. And so the, one of the best ideas that Ed Sable had was to tell Pete Rosell, look here, man, look, you need to have your own filming company. You need to have your own, your own set of people. And they even got the name for you already. NFL films what you think and that they said yeah I mean it was a go and so they went from Blair motion pictures to NFL films one of the best decisions I believe that Pete Rosell who again was 
taking television and football to an all new level. And when you have NFL films doing what they were about to do, which was way different than just the regular networks, putting a movie feel on that, putting some stank on that to get more eyes on these films in a way that football had never really been seen before, then that right there, that just all you need. Thinking about it, if you think about some old college football films and you, you know, it was just kind of dun 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 and Newt Rockney leads his four horsemen in the Notre Dame fighting Irish to another victory. I mean it was it was I I, I wanna call it bland because if I look back at it now, of course I live in it's 2023, but watching as many older things that I have watched, I mean that kind of makes sense that you're going to have a little bit more of, of a creative uh, let's just say you've seen the old and then you want to build upon it and that's exactly what Ed Sable did and you have things that were filmed from a lot of different camera angles he's zooming in on uh, on the bloody knuckles of players he, he's giving you the sights and the sounds and the and the, the, the and what it's really like to play pro football. You're hearing the coaches because they're mic'd up. You got players mic'd up. They were doing that back in the 60s, man. So this is nothing new. Bible says it, <laughs> nothing new under the sun. You know, what made NFL films so different? The multiple cameras, the zoomed in from raw close-up shots of linebackers' bloody knuckles, for example, employed unexpected angles, added slow motion, for dramatic effect and put microphones on all of these people, including officials. And it captured excitations and the thuds and the grunts of a violent game. And then all of this was shown to music that was original and nostalgic. You had so much that put together NFL films. And look, I have so much information. I'm gonna have to give you the rest of it next week. I gotta cut this short. That's it. Uh, let's go to the references. Thanks to ESPN.com, ProFootballReference.com, ProFootballHallOfFame.com. Uh, also, the, in uh, you have twofold, two biographies on ProFootballHallOfFame.com. Ed Sable as well as Steve Sable. NFL.com, Cheyenne Edition. From Sidelines, Sudden Death Sable by Danny Summers, written September 3rd, 2019, and it was actually updated October 8th, 2020. The New York Times, Ed Sable, who elevated football founding NFL films, dies at 98. That was written by Douglas Martin, February 9th, 2015. Also, NFL films, Ed Sable, A Football Life, the beginning of NFL films, and also America's Game, the NFL at 100. You already know my good book is co-written by Randy O. Williams and Jerry Rice. This has been the Behind the Mic Podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr. The show is presented by Billy Up Sports and the Billy Up Sports Podcast Network, Billy Up Media. BillyUpSports.com. Go to it, click on it, and you catch us also on our new home base of Megaphone. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and anywhere else you can find your podcast. You better listen to my show. Or I will find your house. I'm out.